This is Someone Like Me, in Slavery Tennessee's podcast, working to educate listeners, that's you, about the realities of human trafficking and empower survivors of this crime by telling their stories, both through interview and interweaving their voice throughout all of our conversations. I'm Leslie, your host. So we began this season talking about trauma-informed care and how in slavery infuses this approach in all they do, including this podcast. We have a unique ability to share sex trafficking survivor stories directly from the survivors themselves, but not every survivor is ready or able to share their story in a way that's empowering or healthy. Sometimes the sharing of their stories can actually cause more harm. So this is why direct care staff at Slavery Tennessee have a carefully regimented process to determine who may be a good fit for a survivor interview on this show. Although we are working with survivors daily, not every episode of Someone Like Me features an interview with a survivor. That's why we have expert conversations and people who are working to fight this crime. But we do empower survivors by finding other ways for their voices to be heard. Several times throughout the season, you may have heard questions from survivors to the folks being interviewed, or you may have heard survivor stories referenced in episodes. This still gives voice to survivors who are working toward healing. Today's episode is incredibly special as it's entirely made up of survivor-submitted content centering on the idea of hope. The first collection of content will be introduced by Marissa Brunel. She's not only our producer for the show, but she works with all the juvenile victims in Slavery Tennessee Serves. These stories and submissions from survivors were shared willingly, and we have had actors read them for this episode. So here's Marissa. We had a survivor recently touch base with one of our care coordinators just as an update. We worked with her a few years ago, and she has kept in touch because she's had such a great relationship with her care coordinator here at End Slavery, and this is what she had to say. I mean, eventually you just get to a point in your life where you either decided to do one of three things. You take responsibility for your life and choose to be happy and live a meaningful life and continue to grow and learn and put forth your best effort in all you do. Or you stay stuck in misery and be the victim and live a long, miserable life. Or you go back to the streets. I'm choosing number one because the other two options weren't meant for me. And it's not easy going from being trafficked and getting beat every day and being cold and hungry and walking the tracks till my feet were black and blistered jumping in and out of cars, doing unimaginable things with tricks for a crack rock or a gram of heroin or just enough money to not get beat, to being given the opportunity to live. And end slavery gave me that opportunity. You never pushed me to go to meetings. You never pushed me to do anything. You met me right where I was. And it took a long time, but sometimes that's just what someone needs. We got this letter from a client who's in jail right now. She went through our safe house and unfortunately hit some hard times, but is working at getting back on track. Just thought I'd share as a reminder that even just our presence and support can mean a lot to our clients. Hey, hon, how are you doing? I'm not doing nothing. Just got locked down for the night getting ready for bed. I'm really excited about getting this time taken care of. I can't thank you enough for all the love and care that you and End Slavery have given me. I know that I have hit a few bumps along the way, but because of you and End Slavery, I know I'm going to make it. 
That's all I have ever needed was someone to support me, to cheer me on, to have someone to genuinely be there and talk to. I appreciate you all so, so, so much. Thank you for having money on your phone so I can talk to you and get the honest truth. I love that. I really do. I'm truly blessed. I'm sitting in my jail cell smiling because I know I'm loved. I love you and everyone at End Slavery. I hope to wake up and receive a pic of you and the crew. Hey, remember that time we went to the movies and an intern forgot where the car was parked? It was so hot. I was thinking, OMG, I need an Uber. Or how about when we went to Kentucky Kingdom and we all rode that tube down the slide? Oh my, that was a great time, which means great memories. I miss everyone. This too shall pass. This next story is brought to us by one of the newest members of the In Slavery Tennessee team. Sam was originally hired as a transportation coordinator and introduces herself as such, but after this recording, she was promoted to care coordinator. So Sam works with survivors and survivor groups and has this beautiful story to share. I've recently just taken on some extra responsibilities, including doing groups. I do them every Thursday. Recently, I did one on women empowerment. And during our second week, I asked one of our survivors what woman or women inspire them. And I was kind of expecting her to say like an actress or a singer. And she just immediately said her care coordinator at Enslavery. And I was so taken back by that and just really inspired by that. I really had to fight back tears. And it was just really great to see the impact that our care coordinators at Enslavery have on our survivors. We asked a few survivors if they had anything that they wanted to contribute to this episode so their voice could be heard, if there was anything that they were proud of that they wanted to share. And the survivor that Sam was just talking about actually is an amazing writer, and she submitted this poem. She said that this poem had to do with her coming out of her trafficking experience. I am a goldfish in the sea, the sea of sharks and insanity. The waves keep crashing, but I keep fighting. I share my love, but they keep biting. And as I swim high and low, dreaming of today's tomorrow, I am a goldfish in the sea, hoping to reach sanity. Something that most people don't know is that we have a prevention program for youth. Our community response specialist works with them one-on-one -on -one going through a prevention curriculum about exploitation, teaching them about internet safety, healthy and unhealthy relationships, and developing trust and rapport with them. This program is for youth that might be at very high risk for being trafficked or youth that have been suspected of being trafficked. Recently, we just couldn't seem to get through to one of our prevention clients, so we asked one of our youth survivors if she might have any advice for her. This youth in particular loves helping others, so I knew when I asked if she would want to encourage another kid like her, she immediately said she would be happy to do it. Here is what she had to say. I understand what you're going through. You may not think that I do or that anyone else does, but I do. It's hard to deal with being a teenager. Most of the things we worry about and care about will most likely have such little importance to us later on. Sometimes it may seem like it matters so much, and maybe it does to you right now, but will it in six months, one year, or even five years from now? Do you want to be dealing with the same things you're dealing with now then? Sometimes we don't think about stuff like that. 
Like, why does a cup of water not overflow when the ice melts in it? How does the ice just melt and the water inside not overflow? Some things we don't understand, right? That doesn't mean that we won't ever understand. But I know you know that. We just never think about it enough. So then, why do we make the decisions we make? What led up to it? Was it right? Does it affect us right now? Let me tell you, I don't regret a lot of bad decisions I've made in the past, but if I could go back, I would have done it differently. Differently for myself, but mainly for my friends, family, and support team too. It hurts others to see you hurt. We don't take that into consideration a lot or think about it. Let's be honest. Sometimes we don't even care because we are too worried about what's going on with ourselves. But that's one more reason to change. To value and to love the things that we do have now. Because what we have now is not always going to be there. When I was about 13, it was a hard time for me. I was depressed, suicidal, hurt, and looking for someone to adore me or just even pay me notice. So I started looking for attention in the wrong way. Reaching out to older men or boys, sending pictures of myself, and talking immaturely. I started dating different people. I was always the center of drama at school, but I didn't care. I skipped school just because I could. Then eventually I started stealing money and sneaking out. I got caught one time and I said I want to do it again, but then I did. So one day I was pretty late coming home, so I just decided I couldn't go home anymore because I would get into too much trouble. I didn't go home and from there I started running away, which led to some other things. I ended up involving myself with the Ron people and I thought they had all the answers. I liked hanging out with them and I thought they were cool. They smoked, they done bad stuff like me, and they didn't treat me different every time I would get locked up. I would run away back to my old ways so that things just got worse every time I ran away again. More bad things happened to me and I ended up getting more disconnected with my family. I thought that those people were my family. I believed that they truly understood my struggle and that they went through it too and they were teaching me how to handle it and to survive. I thought they must understand, but it turned out they really didn't care. I realized that later on, because every time I would get locked up in a facility, my family would call and try to visit me, but not them. If they really was there for me, why wasn't they then? Whenever I was recovering, sometimes I felt like my actual family was never there, but I never took into consideration that I actually didn't allow them to be there for me at times. I totally just blocked them off for somebody else. I didn't value what I had, and I definitely didn't want to change then. I'm recovering now. I just got back home after a continuous cycle filled with agony, pain, and sorrow. When I think about the path I was going down, I see that, yes, there was some good, but did all the good outweigh the bad? Do I want all that negative energy in my life? Do I really even want to go through all that again or worse? Right now, currently, like I said, I'm recovering. Not from being addicted to drugs, but from being addicted to the adrenaline life. A life of continuous negative actions. A cycle I have to break now. If I don't, will I ever be able to? I try to look at all the good things in my life now. Some were clouded for me, and I still have trouble seeing them. In my head, I might make those good things seem bad or feel like those bad things were good, but I just got to reflect past all that. What do I really want to accomplish? Time is important. I've done so much already, so much good. It inspires me to do more, and you inspire me to do more. Actually, I don't know you, but I feel the need to share with you my mistakes. Hopefully you'll learn, not the hard way, but in a better way than I did. I feel good right now, and I promise if you open yourself up to more opportunities and allow yourself to be happy, you'll be able to do much more and be much more of a person. It is embarrassing having people know the bad choices and mistakes we made. And yeah, people will talk about you. They'll doubt you. But be better and do better work towards what you want. 
I know that deep down you don't want bad for yourself. You want to be normal like everyone else. You want to be loved and cared for. Just want to be somebody. And you are somebody. So just be yourself. Just be you. Something little can turn into something great. But at the end of the day, it's up to you and what you choose. When we sat down with Trish and Centoya to record their full-length Survivor episodes this season, we had some extra conversation that didn't make it into the final episodes, and we wanted to save them for this moment in this episode. So first, we asked Trish about a breakthrough moment in her journey, and her response was incredibly powerful. Can you think of a story of hope, like a time that you had a breakthrough a miracle, some amazing moment in your life that you would just like to share? So I'm a daddy's girl. (laughs) I am a daddy's girl, and I had lost my dad's trust in everything, and he was the one that had the most tough love with me. And so I think, and I don't know that there was a specific point, but when I started earning his trust back, when he handed me a key to his house— When he said, Mm. I'm going to put you on my bank account, you know, like those little milestones, each one of those meant the world to me because that key didn't just open a door to a house. It opened the door to I am trustworthy again and my father believes in me again. And that was huge. When I got the key to the cafe, it wasn't Mm. just a key to a cafe. Like those people were believing in me. And I thought to myself, don't y'all know I used to steal? (laughs) I could, there's $500 here. I could take this and run, you know, but I didn't. I, I, I was building character, one key, one bank account, one action at a time. I was building my character and learning to believe in myself. Yeah, beautiful. And you had mentioned when we were talking earlier, another moment was when you finally got your son back. Yeah. So after going three years with no contact with my baby and the first time I got to hear his voice and to put my arms around him, I just bawled. Mm. And I had prepared my apartment for the minute I moved in there with his bedroom. He had a bed. He had never seen it. You know what I mean? I was I was not allowed to bring him to my home. And so that first day he actually was in my custody when the judge granted custody to me. It was almost unbelievable. But to go home and see him go in his little room <laughs> and be like, I'm so glad I'm home, Mama. Aww. It just, I can't explain what that feeling is like. Thank you for working, Mama, to get me back. You know, and now he gets on my nerves. Because <laughs> how old is he now? 16 okay. now. He was nine when I lost him. So oh. it's it's been a road, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I had to go through being called some really ugly names at a couple of times because he was angry. He was hurt at the decisions sure. I had made that had affected him. Mm-hmm. You know, he lost his mama. Mm-hmm. And so I had to be some bad names. I had to receive some of that. And thank God I was in a healthy place, too. That's what I was thinking, is that's why you had to give yourself oxygen first so that you could be in a healthy, strong place to take that and see it for what it was, which was a young child hurt, 
Just like you had been. Yeah. And it wasn't personal. No. And anger is so much easier to express than hurt. Mm. Even for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When Santoya Brown Long came to talk with us, we were eager to ask her some questions from younger sex trafficking survivors who resonated with her own story. Those questions and Santoya's answers are in the episode itself, but they gave way to more conversation about what keeps her going despite the trauma and painful experiences she's had. The result was this beautiful moment in which Santoya shares the hope she's found in her journey and gives encouragement to other survivors as they work to find the same. What keeps you going despite the trauma and painful experiences that you've had? For me, it's I've seen what God has done with it, and I know that there's nothing that I can go through that He can't make beautiful, Mm -hmm. that He can't create meaning out of. I know that. Like He's already told us we're going to go through stuff. We've we've all seen that that we're going to go through things, but there's that promise there that He can turn things around for you, Mm -hmm. and I've seen it happen. And so it's like, man, sometimes I'm in a situation and it's like. I can't see how this is going to end up. I can't see the other side of this. I can't even see how it could possibly end up well. But it's like, man, God, I'm just going to give it to you. And time goes by, and guess what? He fixed that in a way that I didn't even expect. Yeah. Like, I know, like, when I was younger and in school, like, I always felt everything was the end of the world. Oh, Melanie doesn't like me anymore. She's mad at me. Like, (laughs) you know, it's the end of the world. That was my best friend. What am I going to do now? And it's like, man, I promise you there's always tomorrow. Mm. You just got to keep pushing. And after so many years learning that that was in me, like just to keep pushing and keep having that faith. And so that's what I lean on. When stuff gets difficult, I just think back, man, he's brought me from a long way. He's not going to leave me now. Yeah. You said that there was a time when you were in prison that you're angry at God and you said you didn't believe in him anymore. Mm You just didn't have faith at that point. And a lot of the kids that I work with feel exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. They say they don't believe in God or they're angry at Him. They have no faith. They really have no hope either. What would you tell somebody who's struggling with that? I tell you, number one, I can tell you from my personal experience, He's definitely real. When I was saying I didn't believe in Him, I was really just mad because I felt like things didn't go my way. But God is not your genie in a bottle. That's not how that works. Hmm. But... You know, He is your Father. He is your protector. Like, He has provided, you know, a will. If you submit to it, that's your choice. You have that choice. And I had to look back on a lot of the things that I went through where I was blaming Him. But really, man, like, those are choices that I made. He had a life for me, but I chose not to choose that. I chose to make my own decisions, and I had to suffer the consequences from that. Mm. And so that doesn't speak to, you know, whether He's merciful or not. He's merciful because— even after I've I've done what I've done, even after I denied him, he still loved me. Mm. He set me free from prison. I could have been sitting in there. Yeah. But he still saw me as worthy. He still loves me. And it's a journey that you're gonna have to face, you know, and that you're gonna have to go through with him. But have a conversation with him. Mm. That's what I had to do. Tell him. Like I feel like you don't exist because. Like get mm. it out. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Santoya. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. The last survivor story of hope on today's episode features a woman we're going to call Ariel. Marissa has worked with Ariel nearly three years through a lot of ups and downs. She's a single mother of a special needs child, and she's had challenge after challenge since Marissa first started working with her. 
A few months ago, Ariel had been sharing a lot of positive things that had been happening in her life, so we asked her if she wanted to contribute a story of hope, and she happily agreed. Despite going through unimaginable hardships, she is still always hopeful, positive, and grateful, and willing to lend a hand to anyone in need. In fact, so many of our survivors are this way. They are so willing to share the hope and joy they've experienced with others because of how profoundly it's changed their own lives. Here's Ariel. 2020 was one of the hardest years of my life. Even though I got through everything, there were so many times I felt like giving up. I just kept praying and I always thought about my child. I'd finally got everything I ever wanted, except I was so lonely. Being a single mom with a special needs child, though he is my perfect baby, was super hard. It was like I never got a break for many years. It was just my child and myself. And lots of doctors, anywhere from 7 to 15 appointments a week, plus home appointments. It was normal life to me. Everyone used to ask, how do you do it? I said, simple, it's my child. I never get tired, but over the past few years, it did get hard. I never told anyone how hard it was. I was eight months pregnant and homeless with nothing. Then with some help, I went from nothing to everything except happiness. I wanted so much to have a happy family. I made some bad decisions that left me feeling very hopeless. I was starting to break down and I fell behind on my bills. It was like one thing after the other. Then I got a call saying my lights were getting turned off. I was behind on my rent and car payments. I was fixing to lose everything. I started to pray, God, please help me. I can't lose what I've worked for. I was losing everything. I was in tears and I prayed so hard. Please, God, don't let me lose what I've worked so hard for. So get this. After that, the light company called and told me I had three days to pay or my lights were getting cut off. I was at my breaking point. Then a few minutes later, I got a call from an organization that helps out families telling me that they chose to help my family for Christmas. My heart was so thankful and I was in full-blown tears. The lady asked me what I wanted and I told her I didn't want anything for myself. I just wanted things for my child. After I hung up the phone with her, I received another call from a church saying they were going to help us with everything. We were given gifts for my child and help with their bills. I've never been more blessed. They helped my family so much at just the right time. I always tell people, God might not be there when you call, but he is always on time. The survivors in slavery Tennessee work with continue to prove the tenacity and ability of the human spirit. We believe this all comes from hope. Hope that there is safety. Hope that there is healing. Hope that there is joy. This work is built on hope. Hope and joy go deeper and last longer than mere happiness. Hope and joy are ways of living based on decision and commitment, not entirely on feeling. In Slavery, Tennessee is devoted to comprehensive, strengths-based healing in the lives of survivors and continually communicates this within the community they serve. 
and by giving space to listen well, survivors can feel heard and understood. It's no surprise that after every encounter with a survivor who's embarked on their healing journey, you'll hear them use words like hope and joy, completely unprompted. It's these things that keep them going and keep organizations like End Slavery Tennessee continually committed to fighting the crime of human trafficking. In Slavery Tennessee thanks the Jones Legacy Group for their continued support of someone like me. Our production staff is Gregory Byerline, Stacy Elliott, and Marissa Brunell. Claire Bidigary Curtis is our engineer, and original music is by Zach and Maggie White. I'm Leslie Eiler Thompson. Thank you for listening.